about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. from verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked for the, uh, them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us, So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven, until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets, and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. 
Great to be with you this evening. My name is Mike. If we haven't met before, I look forward to chatting afterwards. Uh, and you found us at the fairly early stage of a long series in Acts, uh, the book that sort of travels the journey of the early church. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now he is continuing his work, hence the unfinished. He's continuing his work through his people, particularly the apostles. Now, tonight, I want to focus on the miracle. I'm going to spend a lot of time just working on the miracle that happens here. Uh, two weeks ago, I spoke on uh, Pentecost and looked at Peter's sermon and spent a bit of time um, looking at that. And Peter's sermon here is kind of quite similar. So I'm going to sort of just assume that you've understood a bit of that. Um, and I'm only going to touch on the sermon as much as it illuminates what's happening in the miracle. And this kind of, this passage is pretty straightforward. I mean, if you get this passage... If you get what's happening in this miracle and this story, you're actually going to get and appreciate the kingdom of God. If you get this miracle, you're going to understand the kingdom of God. And it's, it's pretty straightforward as far as miracle stories go. I mean, there's this beggar. He's outside the temple gates. He's not allowed really inside that area. Leviticus 22 says kind of no one deformed or lame or blind is able, able to enter the temple. Pretty exclusionary, I know, but it's a way of sort of protecting the holiness and the perfection of God. And so here's this guy sitting outside the temple gate, and he's never walked in his life. And his friends have kind of carried him there every morning that he might beg so that he might be able to eat. And he's so ashamed to even, he can't even look people in the eye when he asks people for money. So when Peter and John say, um, look at me, as I'm talking, would you look at me? Because you're not even looking at me. Because I, I want to I share something with you. But it's not silver and gold. Peter says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he's, he's up and he's dancing and people are kind of like, whoa, I recognize that guy. That's the guy that was being lame for like ever. And now he's dancing. What's going on? And then Peter gives this massive sermon. And it's kind of, as I said before, it's this characteristic Acts-style sermon centers around the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter says, that's Jesus who is Christ and Lord. And accordingly, you need to repent. You need to trust him and repent. And that's, that's the kind of story. <laughs> I said, I'm going to focus on the miracle, and I want to show you how the miracle points us in four directions. Um, I haven't got slides, so you're going to go with kind of like, maybe I'll do some kind of drama or something, but four directions. It points us upward. It points us toward God, up toward God. It points us forward. It points us to the shape of the kingdom of God and to the hope that we have in Jesus. It points us forward. It points us inward to our greatest need, and it points us outward as we go public with as much as we've gone deeper. So up, forward, inward, out. You got it? Excellent. Yeah, I see a few smiles. Upward. Let's start there. This miracle points us up towards Jesus, up towards God. And you're kind of like, really? You're going to start with miracles and kind of pointing towards God? Haven't we kind of, haven't we solved for this already? Like miracles didn't happen. Like didn't Richard Dawkins say, that miracles are totally incompatible with natural law. And I like natural law. Like when I used to be an engineer, it was really important that I could depend on kind of the laws of gravity and thermodynamics and all that kind of stuff because when you kind of do the calcs and you say the plane's good to fly, you want to give that assurance to the pilot and the kind of crew and the people flying on the plane. Natural law's good, right? And, and if miracles are going to be totally incompatible with that, that's kind of messed up. And plus, we are way smarter and there's surely we can take the higher meaning out of the text. You know, we can leave behind the bits of fables and myth. 
and just kind of like be smart and kind of learn the moral of the story, yeah? Well, except Peter doesn't do that. And in fact, if you're going to take Christianity on Christianity's terms, if you're going to look at Jesus on Jesus' terms, I don't think you can take out the miracles. Because Peter, he doesn't get up after the miracle and say, isn't Jesus amazing? That's my Jesus. He's awesome. Who wants to sign up? He doesn't say that really at all. He actually focuses on the higher miracle at this point. He goes back to the resurrection. You cannot take the resurrection, one of the greatest miracles in history, out of the Christian story. All of Acts would fall apart. Even the Apostle Paul would say in Acts 15, if it's not for the resurrection, my faith is dead and I'm left in my sins. You cannot take miracles out of this story. And so what should we do with it? Especially if we're super smart and want to leave it all behind as myth and fables. What, what should we do with miracles? Well, I'm going to say it does point us up to God. You might remember a couple of, like a month ago, maybe even a little longer, uh, we were preaching on Colossians. And I spoke on Colossians 1, that kind of that Christ hymn, that great kind of um, ode to Jesus. And we found in, in that passage that it's actually Jesus who created all things. That all of creation was made by him and, and through him and, and for him. Now, I'm really glad that, that Jesus as God is, is a God of order, that he, that he did things orderly, that kind of like we get the, you know, if the six days of creation point us towards an orderly account of an ordered God creating an orderly world, as opposed to the other mythical accounts of God's fighting and clashing and outpouring of chaos world and all that kind of stuff. And we get this orderly account. And I'm really glad that, that when I drop a pen, it kind of falls like I'd expect it to because God set up natural laws. But if Jesus really did create all things and sustained all things and holds all things together, I'm glad he does that orderly, in an orderly way. But it's totally his deal if he wants to actually just pull that back a little bit so that he might reveal himself in his creation sort of enter into the play, as it were. That's totally his prerogative if he wants to reveal himself in creation and doing so miraculously. Of course, the greatest miracle of all, I believe, is the incarnation, that God would enter, the Creator would enter into creation. Try and get your head around that. The, the infinite, I said this when we were looking at Colossians, the infinite revealed in the finite. Imagine that. And I'm glad that God is orderly, that his character is dependable. Like when I wake up tomorrow morning, God's going to be the same God because he is dependable and trustworthy. It's not like I'm going to wake up tomorrow and the world will be upside down or pink and fluffy and weird and stuff like that, as though God was having a little cranky tantrum and sort of changed a whole bunch of things on me. No, God is dependable and he acts in, in dependable ways. And yet he is still God and is able to reveal himself in creation even in miraculous ways. So I want to have my cake and eat it. I want to say the laws of nature are kind of ordered and good, and yet God can still reveal himself in creation. So miracles point us to a God who created all things and is involved in this world. Yeah? But as we look at Acts, I want to say something more because... 
the apostles do some kind of really interesting stuff. They do some pretty miraculous stuff and the crowds go kind of, wow. I notice that Peter is pretty keen to say, this is not about our godliness. It's not about our power here. It's about God. It's about Jesus. So even he is pointing up. But yet, I think there's also something going on here that as the apostles do great miracles, people are also able to look to these guys and say, actually, these guys have some kind of authority. The thing is, is when the apostles are kind of founding the early church, they couldn't kind of, you know, build a stone church like this and kind of pick up the scriptures that everyone recognized was kind of an authoritative, holy text and kind of read from the New Testament because that didn't exist then. They were the New Testament. They were the eyewitnesses. That was a really important thing for the apostles. But God in his mercy so worked through them that they actually did miraculous things so that people would stop and go, wow, like something's really happening there. Jesus is really working through these guys. There's some kind of authority here. And so the miracles in Acts are testifying to the apostolic authority of these people that we see in Acts. So we see a bunch of miracles at the beginning as Jesus found, uh, built his church on the apostles. And we see a bunch of miracles throughout Acts, maybe a bit less so towards the end. And if we look through the records of early church history, we don't see heaps of miracles. So there's something particularly special about Jesus saying, these are my people. I'm working through them. I want you to listen to them. But I also want you to know that I'm really open to God working in all kinds of miraculous ways. I've spent many an hour in my life praying that God would intervene in all kinds of circumstances, sometimes in miraculous ways as we plead before God that he would save someone that is in dire trouble. Sometimes he does answer that and all praise to him. Sometimes he doesn't answer it in the way that we want. But I am open to God working in miraculous ways because I believe that God is involved in his creation, but sometimes he just works through the orderly account of things, that he might bless someone with medical gifts uh, and capabilities and use them to do his work. Yeah. But what we're getting from this, and what I want you to get from this, is that miracles point us first up to God. That this is Jesus' work, his unfinished work, and he's revealing himself powerfully in creation. But I want to share something with you that I was reading this week that kind of took me by surprise a little bit. I mean, you might have heard people say that that miracles are a suspension of natural law, that God kind of puts that on hold, if you like, as he peers through and reveals himself. But this particular theologian said, well, miracles are not so much a suspension of natural law, but a revelation of what is natural. Get your head around that. Miracles are not so much a suspension of natural law, but a revelation of what is natural. And what that theologian is getting at is as Christians, we appreciate that in this sinful world, it's broken, all of creation is groaning under the frustration of sin. Things are not as they ought to be. When humanity rebelled against God, God kind of let it unfold from there, all broken and messed up. And miracles are actually showing us the kingdom, how things ought to be. And so when I see Jesus performing miracles... I don't see him kind of just flying and saying, look at me, I'm awesome, I can do cool stuff. We see him actually demonstrating how things ought to be. And so when he heals someone, he's saying, you actually ought to be restored, perfected, and I want that for you. And and when he he breaks bread and fish and kind of feeds 5,000, he's saying, I don't want people to live in poverty and in hunger. 
That's not the way it ought to be. See what I'm saying here? Jesus is not just on a power trip doing kind of magic tricks for, for show, although that still would reveal him as God. He's actually pointing forward. He's actually pointing us forward to the shape of the kingdom, to the shape of our hope. He's giving us a window into how things ought to be because we have seen the end revealed in history, especially in Jesus' resurrection. And miracles show us how things ought to be. I could imagine a bunch of people at that kind of temple, you know, they would have walked past the beggar, I suppose, and uh, studied the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, and they would have known the Scriptures really well. In fact, Peter trades off that when he says, you know, all the prophets have been pointing towards Jesus, the prophets you should be reading about. I have no doubt that as they saw this lame beggar now leaping for joy, that some of them might have actually triggered Wait a second, I've read about this. And as we think about the miracle pointing forward, Isaiah 35 has got to be kind of going backwards in times and showing actually this forward vision has always been there. Isaiah 35 talks about God coming to his people, uh, bringing salvation. Verse 5, then will the eyes of the blind be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. There has always been, as long as God has been revealing himself, a picture of how things ought to be, as God reveals his character and the character of the kingdom of God. Because this miracle is pointing forward as to how things ought to be. And Isaiah 35 was pointing forward a long time back. You know, I think if, if I had kind of God powers to do miracles and stuff, I'd fly for sure. I'd love to fly. Everyone's got like an animal they'd want to be, right, and kind of explore. I watched the movie called The Lobster the night. Really weird. Don't watch that. Um, I'd kind of, I'd, I'd get free car parks in Newtown whenever I wanted. You know, there'd be all kinds of like, you know, Bruce Almighty style, all kinds of things that you could do because you have the power to do miracles. And yet Jesus chose to reveal the kingdom as he healed the lame. As he worked through his apostles to heal the lame that they would leap. And this is powerful. Hope in Jesus is powerful because no longer are his people defined by being in the moment, by our circumstances, by our status, by the fear of missing out or whatever the heck is going on in your life right now. Because we are defined by someone and what he has revealed about the future. We are defined by Jesus and, and the, the kingdom that he is revealing to us and has revealed to us in the resurrection because the end has been made known in history. Now, I've had the unfortunate privilege of seeing a number of, of young Christians face all kinds of horrible circumstances, including death. And I've watched them rage against their disease. I've watched them be angry with God even. And yet I have also seen in them a steadfast joy and peace that cannot be touched by the circumstances they find themselves in. Why? Because they know that Jesus and his great work in this world has been pointing them forward to how things ought to be, to the kingdom of God. I even went to a Christian funeral once of a particularly tragic um, young boy who lost his life. And I walked away from that and I said to my wife, I said, that was like too happy. 
I guess better that than the alternative, right? Hope is powerful. And it powerfully points us to the God who is at work in this world, transforming us and bringing us into his kingdom. I reckon the greatest apologetic around kind of suffering and the philosophy of God's existence is actually the Christian life lived out. When people see the hope that you are living out, and they're like, why aren't you kind of like, if, that, if I was you, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be angry, I'd be beside myself, I'd be messed up. And, and yet you've got this peace, you've got this joy. That's Jesus. The thing is, we're not just treading water until things are revealed as they ought to be. If this miracle is pointing us forward, we're not just waiting until that, you know, Jesus comes again and kind of fixes it all up. Can I take a little bit of leading here from, from Peter's sermon here, halfway through verse 9, if the Bible's open in front of you. He talks about that times of refreshing may come upon you. They might come from the Lord. That word refreshing there, it's actually used only like this in all of the New Testament the Greek word behind it. But yet I can't help but think of the Spirit's work in the Christian's life, refreshing us. It's one of the reasons why he's called the comforter. As the Spirit works in our life, ministering to us, speaking to us, guiding us in times of trouble, that we might be supernaturally comforted despite the circumstances we find ourselves in. For the same Spirit is the Spirit of life, actually transforming us and helping us to discover this renewed life that we've been brought into, that we've been blessed with. And it's the the Spirit of Christ who is actually applying all of what He has done. and, And now as He sits at the right hand of the Father, He is sending out and pouring out His Spirit that we might be transformed into His likeness from the inside out. And so while I wait until Christ's return, I'm being transformed and and ministered to and and comforted as a Christian as I walk through this life, as I journey with Jesus. It is incredibly personal. This miracle here points us up to Jesus and it points us forward to what he is doing in this world, to the hope that we have in Christ. So how do we enter this kingdom? Surely that should have been the message as the crowd gathered round, not just kind of like, oh, wow, I want what he's got. I've got like a rash here, Jesus. (laughs) Surely they should be saying, this is pointing up to Jesus. It's pointing forward to the things that I'm hoping for. How do I get in on this? And that's where Peter's sermon kind of illuminates all that is happening. Just before in verse 19, the same verse I quoted, how do you get times of refreshing Verse 19, the beginning of it, repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out. How did that lame man get healed? Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see has now been made strong. By faith and repentance, you might enter the kingdom of God. No matter what your story is, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad your circumstances are, if you want in on this, Then faith and repentance, two sides of the one coin. As you say, Jesus, I reckon you really are king. I reckon you really are Lord over everything. And I want to especially make my life oriented towards that. I want to make you king of my life. And I want to turn away from living a life where I'm just king and I'm rejecting you. 
I'm repenting and I'm trusting, I'm believing in Jesus. And Peter invites people to respond in faith and repentance. And he does that time and time again. And people respond in their thousands. Not just because they want their rash healed or even their lame legs restored. No, because there is a deeper problem here. Because this miracle points inward to our greatest need. Like I said, Peter didn't preach. Wasn't that amazing? Woo, Jesus! No, no, he took that opportunity to say, there's a greater miracle. Jesus rose from the dead. You killed him, by the way. (laughs) But you acted in ignorance. But it's now time to come before your maker. To say sorry. That you might receive forgiveness of sins. That they be wiped away. And that you might enter a season of refreshing. And I might pour upon you my spirit. How do you get that? Faith and repentance. It's like Peter is saying, what just happened before you, that's really important. Okay, it was great that this guy was healed, but there is more that this man needs. And there is more than you need. It's forgiveness of sins. It's to make Jesus Lord of your life. And Peter goes on a couple of times to say there is no hope to be found outside of Jesus that you would turn away from this wicked generation. We have a deeper need. Humanity has a deeper need. It reminds me of a story that the same Luke who wrote Acts shares in the beginning of his Gospel of Jesus, Luke chapter 5. There's Jesus, and he's in this kind of house, and, and there's... You know, heaps of people gathered around to hear Jesus because people were kind of like, wow, there's this really cool guy in town and he's doing like kind of crazy miracles and he's teaching with authority and all these people gather. And another crippled man with some great friends are like, let's get in on this. We want some of that. Let's get this guy healed. And so they take his mat and they walk up to the crowd and they're like, dang, there's like so many people here. So like, I know, we'll, we'll go through the roof. We'll dig a hole in the roof and lower him down. And Jesus should have said, could have said, Don't you dare interrupt me. I'm in the middle of a great speech. Instead, he stopped. He slowed down. That's the God of the universe there. Slowed down and said, actually, I'm concerned for this guy. I not only want to love him, but I want to show everyone here that there is a deeper need as well. And so he says, your sins are forgiven. And the whole crowd is like, are you kidding me? Can you not see what he needs? Your sins are forgiven. He doesn't need that. Then he said, what's easy to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. I mean, everyone can say, your sins are forgiven. Except the Pharisees in the room will say, only God can say that. He said, so that you might know that the Son of God has power to forgive sins, get up and walk. And that sign, that miracle, pointed towards the power of God, the shape of the kingdom, and our deepest need, forgiveness of sins. I have all kinds of people knocking on my door at Urco. Um, one guy just wanted to thank me for kind of some of the work we've been doing in landscaping. That was nice. Um, I get other people who are really destitute and they need sandwiches or some food. One guy rocked up the other day and he's like, I need a t-shirt. And I was like, okay, what for? And he rolls up his sleeve and his arms all blistered and infected. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, I'm keen to help. But what do you need a t-shirt for? 
It's like, so I can wrap it up. I was like, you don't need a T-shirt. You need some gauze and you need to go to hospital, man. And so I tried to help him out a bit. There was one guy who was sitting on the park bench next to our very popular Urco Street Library. And he'd been sitting there for a little while, so I went up to him and I said, oh, mate, do you, do you need something? Like, what's happening? Are you doing okay? He said, actually, I'm, I'm not doing okay. And he was a bit intoxicated. And he said, I just spent all my money on the pokies in the pub across the road. And I was like, oh, wow. And uh, he goes, I've got nothing to, nothing to eat. I was like, okay, that sucks. Um, let's, I'll take you up the road. Let's get some sandwiches. And, and we're talking. And I really want to help this guy. I really want to love him. I want to show him the, the, the shape of the kingdom of God as I love him. And that this is not the way things ought to be. But I'm also praying, God, would you give me the opportunity to show him his deeper need? And as we got talking, he, he said, he goes, I often uh, am too proud to ask for help. And I was like, yeah, I get that. It actually reminds me of a, a story that Jesus shared. Can I share that with you? And he said, sure. And I told him that the story of the two lost sons and how we see kind of pride working in both of these sons, how one kind of went off and did his own thing because he was too proud and even too proud to ask for help in the end until he had nothing left and ran back to the father's arms. And I said, God wants you back, brother. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't, he didn't respond on the spot. He was really open to the story and we chatted around it. I don't know where this guy's at now. But friends, we want to love people beautifully, richly, care for them. And we also want to show them their deepest need, that they might find Jesus their Lord and Savior. There might even be some people here tonight who have kind of been attracted into the beauty of the church and of Jesus, but have not kind of made Jesus their Lord and Savior. And I want to say it's as simple as faith and repentance that you might enter a time of refreshing and that God might welcome you with the open arms of the Father into his kingdom. As we finish, it points to a final direction, right? We've got upward, forward, inward to our greatest need, and outward. Sometimes, despite sharing a couple of in stories of kind of how I've been able to do little things, I often feel just absolutely feeble. As I walk down the streets of Newtown and I see homeless people, I'm thinking, what, what can I say to these guys? I can't, I can't say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Or if I did say, in the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven, what do you think they're going to say? They're going to say, people say, I'm crazy. And yet what I see in Peter just gives me so much encouragement and power. What does Peter do? He doesn't just say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Look with me. Acts chapter 3. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, and Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. What I have I give you. He has the name of Jesus. He has the victory of Jesus. He is filled with the spirit of Jesus. He has just been filled to overflowing at Pentecost with the power of the spirit. And what he has, he gives. The Christian walk is personal. It's a journey. It's about discipleship. What you have tasted. Your journey might be kind of messy and crazy and up and down. What you have tasted in that, whatever is good, that you can share. What you have You can share. 
you can give. In words and in actions. It comes out of a place because you have been loved and reached by Jesus. You have been forgiven by Jesus. You have new life because of Jesus. And what I find most incredible is after Pentecost, this great kind of coming of the Holy Spirit. You'd expect kind of the next episode to be kind of like, and so they got all the big wigs in town and they're like, we're going to take over the world. We're going to build this empire. It's going to be amazing. No, what we have is the very first person to, to, to sort of enter into the kingdom this, in this next episode is a beggar. The same beggar who Leviticus 21 said, actually, not welcome in the temple. Jesus says, he is welcome. I want him. So whoever is sitting outside the church gates, whether they feel rejected by the church, whether they have rejected the church, whether they don't even notice the church, whatever the reason is, Jesus loves them. And now he is filling you to overflowing. That you might extend the hand of Jesus. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like. Peter wasn't running to a script here. That was an opportunity for him to just love his neighbor at that moment. And it was powerful and miraculous. I don't know what tonight's going to look like, tomorrow, this week. But would you be courageous enough to share what you have in Jesus? This miracle points us up to Jesus, forward to his kingdom. It shows us our most innermost need. And out of all of that, it flows out. May you go public with as much as you've gone deeper. Let me pray. Oh, Father, you have blessed us so much in Christ and in the outpouring of your Spirit. Father, if there's people here tonight who are in a season of dryness, may you fill them to overflowing. May you use your people, may you speak richly through your word, and may you minister through the Holy Spirit that they would be uplifted. And Father, for those of us that are filled with your spirit and, and encouraged by all that you've done for us, would you now give us the courage to go out and share what it is you have done in our life? Would you give us the courage to take hold of opportunities? And Father, if there are people here tonight who want in on your kingdom, Father, would you give them the courage to, to trust you and to repent for the forgiveness of sins? Father, we thank you for all that is possible in Christ through his death and resurrection. So it's in his name we pray. Amen. Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.